You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're listening to The Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast, a place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development, showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered Podcast. Your host, Olivia, here. And today we are talking about micro marketing, scaling intimacy, and social media monogamy. And we're doing that with Eva Janata. And I'm so happy to have her here. Um, so I she's been an entrepreneur for almost a decade. And um you know, I, I'd like you to just, for one, just share your story. But before you do that, guys, her links are in the show notes below or the description below, depending on where you're consuming this content. So yeah, uh, share with me your story. Hi, Olivia. <laughs> so yes, I'm Eva. I go by she, her pronouns. And gosh, it was very exciting to hear you say that I've been an entrepreneur for nearly a decade because I hadn't put it in so many words to myself yet. So that was very fun. So yeah, I started my business when I was in my mid twenties and I started it out of a situation that probably at least some of you listening can relate to, which is that my corporate job like imploded and I wasn't expecting that to happen. I wasn't hoping that would happen, but it did. And so I was left with to kind of pick up, pick up the pieces of my self-confidence and my sense of what I was doing and why I was doing it. And in hindsight, it's funny to me that I decided to start a business rather than just get a different job. But at the time, I was very intimidated by the idea of job hunting and interviewing and like figuring out what job to apply for and how to kind of position my skill set. Because the job that imploded was my first job out of college. So I didn't have a lot of experience. And hilariously, in hindsight, I thought, oh, starting a business will be easier which I, I'm glad that I didn't realize that it, how challenging it could be at the time because my naivete was a strength in the beginning. But anyway, to make that, to wrap that story up, I decided to start a business and I at first was offering kind of general marketing and communications services to women entrepreneurs. 
And that broad category, not in the least bit niched, served me okay for a couple of years. You know, I was able to build my business by word of mouth and networking and trying a lot of sit things and saying yes to almost anybody who would pay me. But over time and with experience and with, yes, just some growth, I ended up niching more specifically into thought leadership training and advising. So now I work with women leaders who tend to be consultants, coaches, speakers, and authors, or some combination of the above. I help them to translate the wisdom and the opinions and the insights from between their years into pieces of writing that they can publish to the world and can make an impact. That is super cool, by the way, because I didn't you. realize that that was exactly what you did. So <laughs> like, that is, no, that is so cool. Um, I, and I haven't heard of anybody doing that. So like, is it f- specifically for like books or for copy, like um, sales copy or anything like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So the answer is yes. And so I do work with a lot of authors, although I have, and while I have worked with authors on like editing and content guidance for their, for their full length books, I also, they also tend to work with me on the actual book launch and where thought leadership is involved in a book launch. I mean, a book itself is a, is a big piece of thought leadership, But to market and launch a book requires a lot of different moving parts and variables and audience growth and putting yourself out there and shorter form pieces of thought leadership, which is what my company I really specialize in, like articles, like emails to a growing email list, like social media posts, having a really robust and consistent practice for publishing those, those shorter think pieces really helps authors, speakers, and really anyone who is ambitious and wants to grow their influence and impact and authority really helps them to establish that in a consistent, committed way. That is super cool. Cause I work with so many authors myself, like just from like, yes. and I, um, I want to write a book one day. And one of my goals Hell is yeah. New York times bestselling author. And it was so funny because I was like, I was asking um, people for a friend. I was asking for a friend, um, you know, what, um, for those of you that have published a book, you've gone through a publisher, um, what was your process? You know, I, yeah. I just asked it on Facebook and I got a lot of different feedback, but the ones that annoyed me the most are like, oh, just go self-publish through Amazon. That's not what I asked. I, mm-hmm. you know, like, like for one, I, it's not for me, but I'm like, I really like, I'm like, you can't be a New York times bestselling author being self-published. Like that just don't happen. Like what, mm-hmm. what, what are we doing here? You need, you need people to help you out. So understanding what your goals are, um, are super important. So would you say that you help your clients like identify what their goals are before you start your projects with them? Yes and no. I mean, gosh, I have such a kind of push-pull relationship, even with the concept of goals. I I wrote an article, a piece of thought leadership myself, uh, not long ago about why I hate goal setting. And so let me me try to gather my thoughts so I don't go on a super long-winded tangent. But, you know, 
what I think can be challenging about goals is they change. We are evolving beings. And so some of us, like you, Olivia, have these big kind of milestones that we want to cross. And maybe they've been really dear to us since we were young, and maybe they're going to be dear to us forever. And I think that is actually less common than those of us who have more kind of vague goals or even just a sense of how we'd like to feel, but we're not sure what we would need to accomplish or set up for ourselves to enable those feelings or to support those feelings. And so in terms of goal setting with my clients, you know, yes, we talk about goals when it comes to, you know, how do you want your book launch, for example, to Mm -hmm. unfold? What do you want that to look like? What's important to you? What's less important to you? What's important to your publisher? You know, there's different kind of variables in the mix. And then, but that's a very short term set of goals, which I find typically easier to wrestle with than big goals, which tend to be for a lot of us, I think very kind of amorphous. You know, we we want, most of us want to have an impact. Most of us want to leave the world a better place than how we found it. Most of us want to have enriching relationships. And these are all goals, but they're not, they're not super succinct or, or quantifiable goals the way something like get on the New York Times bestselling list is. And so, you know, when I work with clients with a shorter term project, like a book launch, we do tend to get more specific about goals, but I typically work with clients over the long term, especially my private clients, because we're doing a lot of consistent thought leadership production and distribution for them. And in those cases, you know, sometimes they have specific goals, like, oh, I want to raise my speaker fee. I need to have a bigger platform to uh, kind of merit a higher speaking fee. But, and there's usually like, I want to make the world better. I want to have an impact. I want to connect with people. And so I don't believe we need to, especially in the beginning, quantify those goals any more specifically than just what I said. So I like to kind of leave that there. Oh, I I definitely understand exactly where you're coming from with that too. Just like making sure you have that clear direction and and as far as they have that expectation as well, but not for me, like I think goal setting, um, I, I was such a big like goal setter, but I'm also like a really big habit builder mm. to achieve those specific Smart. goals. But I'm, I'm like, really, I do get very specific, but like those things. So one area that I've really excelled in life at is making friends. And Me too. Meeting, you know, meeting quality people and building yes. quality relationships. I've really excelled at that. So it's like me having like a lot of the issues that I feel like other people in our age group have when it comes to like making new friends and stuff like that. I just don't have because I'm like, they got an app for that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> same. I could make friends with a stop sign. Like, like, cause I, I'm really big into having genuine and authentic relationships. And yeah. it was just something you mentioned. And I'm like, it's one of those things that I guess I take for granted, but to, to switch back over, I, you are obviously working with so many different types of people that, and you spoke about growing their audience. You spoke about, you know, increasing their speaker fees, things like that um, as goals that they might have with, with, with working with you. So how does micro marketing come into play when it comes to growing on social? 
Yes. So I find, so let me start with just sharing something about myself. So one of the challenges, I guess we all face this to to some degree or other, but like there's the challenge of like figuring out what you're like and making peace with what you're like and how it relates to the world. And what I mean by that specifically is I tend to be a very emotional person. I cry very easily. I tend to be very empathic. I tend to be really sensitive. So I find that I'm sensitive to noise and I get overstimulated easily. And I also tend to be introverted. So even though I'm outgoing and I love making friends, I also really crave solitude and recovery time. And that's how I get my energy is being alone or being in one-on-one relationships. And, you know, the world doesn't always accommodate or celebrate some of those characteristics. And as I became an entrepreneur and started learning about marketing and sales and how to grow a business, a lot of the advice that I felt I was being bombarded with really like, what's the word I want? It like really shoved up against in an uncomfortable, unpleasant way, my preferred way of building relationships or how my energy works and how I most feel enriched and energized by conversation or by um, activities. And so over the years, I developed what I call the micro marketing method, which is a set of tools that I use to consistently increase my influence and authority and make intimate connections at scale, but without relying on tactics that I think might be a little bit more popular or trendy, but that really feel cringy to me or really antithetical to me. And so to answer your question more specifically, how does micro marketing relate to some of the thought leadership work we talked about? Well, you know, you could thought lead exclusively in your journal if you wanted, you know, if that was what you wanted to do, that is valid. And that is not an asset for growing your business or establishing your authority or increasing your influence and making an impact, right? So there's a gap between the thought leadership practice itself and distributing it, really getting it out in front of people so that it can impact them and it can influence the decisions they make, the ways they think about the world and how they grow. So in that gap, there has to be some sort of marketing. There has to be some sort of, you know, publicity or PR strategy or or anything. You know, there's a lot of different options you have for distribution and getting the word out about something. And the tools that I've chosen that I call micro marketing are really well suited to leaders who tend to have some of the characteristics I mentioned, who tend to be sensitive, empathic, introverted or ambiverted, and also who tend to have a contrarian streak. So they really They kind of don't want to follow the status quo. They don't want to do things the way other people do them. They really want to zig if everyone else is zagging. So does that answer your question, Olivia? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I really like what you said with like micro marketing, basically being making intimate connections at scale. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, And like, that's something that like appeals more to me because I'm like, I've been doing the whole, like I do the social, I'm on the social platforms, but I feel like people don't really get to see the real. Mm. I share the real on my podcast. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I'll I'll share if I'm going through a hard time and all that other stuff. Um, So it's not like I, I hide that, 
but I'm not putting that in a 30 second to 90 second clip. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. I'm also, mm-hmm. you know, um, when I write about things and I like announce them, like I'm, I, I mostly just share my life now. I'm in a weird transitional part in my life. So, um, and I, you know, I hate the label of like extrovert and introvert yeah. and all that because I'm such an, I am such an extrovert, but I do like being alone. Like <laughs> I think that also came from me learning to love being with me. Mm-hmm. I think that came from a lot of personal development. Um, oh. I'm extremely empathic, man. COVID was so like, COVID wasn't hard for me in the sense of like, not being positive, not being, I wasn't really fearful, but I could feel everybody else's fear. Yeah. Grocery store. Like, yeah, just the tension that was ambient. Yes. And it's just like, I can't with, I was in the grocery store helping people and I didn't even work in the store. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I mean, I guess I was like, like, come on now, we got to breathe. We got to calm down. Like, cause I was feeling that type of stuff. But now I've gotten to the point that I can detach and um, I think that's a result of me working on becoming unoffendable. That's just, mm, I love that. And I've been working on that heavy this year. Um, and it's like, but that has helped me. I knew it was something I needed because the people online, the people, I deal with crazy people in person too. But it's like, you know, you deal with comments, like when your stuff does get some reach to like people that aren't even necessarily your audience you get comments that are just so off rip, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like, really? And I know that a lot of people can, can go into a negative space. Um, yeah. With, with some of that stuff, you know? And for me, I was a type of person that did like jump around and do all the, I mean, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So like even your social media monogamy, is is an interesting idea to me because like they're constantly changing like how do you you know make sure your message is still clear and still grow with the ever-changing algorithms and stuff you know yeah so there's a couple things you said olivia that are that are sticking out to me and one of them is just like the reality of being disagreed with online and not even just that but like sometimes people are straight up cruel And I think the more, the more well-recognized we are, the more authority we have, particularly if we thought lead about something that's a little bit controversial and, or if we have intersecting historically underestimated identities, that that can invite a different kind of online vitriol than not. So for example, you know, I have, I work with a number of women of color who are in the DEIB space, diversity, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And they are at much greater risk for negative pushback than I, as a white woman who talks about thought leadership, am. So I think it's important to surface that just because sometimes I think the language around like, ignore the trolls or sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It sounds neutral to say those things, but the reality is that we, we aren't all at the same risk for getting that kind of pushback and that's unfair and it's reality. And it's important to acknowledge that it's, 
the facts. So that's why I get really heated when I talk about this. So that's I, one thing I wanted to um, respond to that you shared, Olivia. And I guess a, a little bit related is this idea of social media monogamy, which ties to some of the principles of micro-marketing. And that is, you know, the, the principle, I guess, that social media monogamy stands on is this idea of less being more. So social media monogamy is a practice that I've identified or that I've named of just choosing one social media network exclusively to use. And this really flies in the face of a lot of the advice we get about like being everywhere or being where something, being in the place that's most popular or most where there's most um, organic engagement, you know, casting a wide net, making sure people can find you in different places. All of that has merit. I'm not saying that that's all wrong, but my experience and my strong preference is to be able to really go deep in one place rather than going wide and shallow. And I find that as a good fit for my energy and my effort and my skill set. And by cutting off other options, yes, I am potentially cutting off access to other people. And I think that that, so there's a bit of a risk to that, you could argue. And I think from the perspective of positioning yourself as being not for everyone, but really, like you said, for a certain kind of audience, choosing to be available in only one place really lends itself to that. It provides clarity and focus of like, this is where you can find me. This is where you can connect with me. This is where I'm available. Please come in and meet me here rather than I'm going to go and be everywhere. And, you know, I have some clients who are like, I'm not doing that. They just, that's just not for them. And I respect that. And I have other clients for whom hearing this idea of social media monogamy and being given permission to say no to more things and say a deeper yes to one thing is a tremendous amount of like relief and excitement for them. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about options. You know, yes, we these, are precisely. These are options. And I love that we're exploring this because I haven't had someone on to actually explore these options. You know, I feel like I'm too far deep. Like I could, I could just get off of these other places, but I feel like Facebook, for instance, in my situation. Yeah. The way that Facebook is working now, like I get so many more reactions mm. from the people on Facebook. Interesting. And you can't grow it the same, but I mean, now that they have added that reels aspect to it, they, they still do grow. Like I get more interactions and it's funny because now I've got a Christ driven page too. Mm -hmm. So I've got, and we have a Facebook page that we didn't even care that much about. We put the same content on all pages. Yeah. And it's funny because. Like Jamie's been doing, my, my partner, she's been doing phenomenal on Instagram the last couple of weekly posts. So she, like, we post six days a week. And she has gotten, like, her one yesterday got, like, 12.5K views. Dang. Um, and we're we're small. Like, we started this in April. We, um, we only, we've got, like, 600 people on our Instagram Mm -hmm. so like that's that's really good reach for that yeah you know um 
But then it's like on Facebook, we didn't even really care much about Facebook. But like people, inter- we we see how much people are interacting with that. We've got almost 800 something followers on Facebook, like actually like mm. over 800 followers on Facebook. And we weren't even trying to like, we just put it all everywhere. And then we've, we've stopped posting long form videos on YouTube because we just, in this season of our lives right now, it's just not conducive, but we're just post- posting the shorts. We were, we have still, we've just gotten over like a hundred people on YouTube. And then mm-hmm. we've got over a thousand, like we've got 1100 on TikTok. Same content. And it just, it blows my mind how different things are more popular on different platforms. Yeah. Um, And I, I just, we I've gotten to the point now that I, because I've been posted on social for like three years, I can post it and forget it. I can really detach. I'd be like, okay, this and that. Like, I know these numbers because we're looking at, we're recently looking at growth. It's not because it's like, oh my God, this is, this is attached to my value. A lot right. of people starting out in business, I feel like they are so attached to the results on social media. And, you know, to speak to what you were saying with the different people having different things come back to them, like, with with us to having Christian content, man, I'm t- listen. I got the Pharisees out here saying that I need to repent. Mm. I got people <laughs> like dudes about to get blocked, but I got um, other people just like saying, you know, will you believe in fairy tales? Okay, listen. If you don't like this content, you can get. Up. She's a lot nicer than me because I'm just like you can. You, this ain't for you. Then I'll, I'll yes. you know, you know, and and knowing what is for you and what's not for you. Um, and also understanding, you know, some of these people just have to be so miserable to say stuff that's so negative to comment, to take time out of their day to comment and be like, just be, to be so negative, you know, it's really hard for me to relate to Olivia. Yeah. Like you take, you are allotting some of your finite energy to just being mean. And I, I guess the, the, the only way so far that I've figured out how to understand it is it just. I think we people tend to just be primed to be so defensive about their opinions and their worldview. And so the minute someone, no matter who the heck they are, threatens that, they fly off the handle. And it's a really, it's kind of an, it's an odd, it's an odd way that we are. I don't know if that's just a human thing or if it's a, particularly in the US, I don't think so, but, or if it's, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not like a social scientist, but yeah, like I remember my coach once described, I think she described entrepreneurship as like, or maybe it was leadership as going to school in public. And you really are, if you are building authority and your influence is growing and your audience is growing, you know, you are being seen by more people and therefore they will see your inevitable foibles. And there's some, there's totally some vulnerability and risk in that. And I think for me, like what I try to do with myself and my clients is just be incredibly self-compassionate and like build a thicker skin. You know, I like how you put it with being unoffendable, but just really do our best to let that roll off of us. And yeah, in a way, almost look at it as a green light. I mean, it's hurtful, but it's, it means that we are making an impact. We are 
reaching people. You know, we are being able to be disagreed with. And so one perspective is like, okay, that's a, that's a green light. The other perspective is like you said, Olivia, like, well, they're just not for you. So you can, you know, from a business perspective and from a personal perspective, just ignore them to the best of your ability. But, but despite that, like, you know, elementary school rhyme, like sticks and stones can't break my bones or can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words can totally hurt. And so I think we have to just be real about that as well. Oh, definitely. It's taken me, and and I I say it because it's taken me years. It's taken me specific affirmations. Mm -hmm. I have specific affirmations when it comes to not like one of them is, and it's not said in the right way, but I'm, and this is really more a saying, but I'm not going to get pissed off on social media. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm not going, I'm not going to let that happen to me. Like, I'm just yeah. not, I'm not going to feed into it. I'm not going to, you know, and that, that's a, that's a big one. That's a rule that I have for myself to boundary. Yeah. I am. Um, I only seek the approval of God. Mm. That thing right there has changed my life because I was such a people pleaser. I was yeah. so, I cared so much about how people view me, viewed me and how they saw me, but in actuality, they never really get to know the real me if they're not really around me and I'm constantly evolving and changing. Right. You know, and, and why do I need validation from all these other people? Now I am there for who is there. Like I'm there for the people that need to hear my message. And Mm -hmm. if you don't need to hear my message, there's plenty of other noise out there for you, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. um, So, so it's really, I think that's helped me develop the thick skin because no, Mm -hmm. there's, there's, I, I, from people that have committed suicide, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen them and I've, I've, I've gotten into it with people online before. I'm not saying I've never had, cause I, there's sometimes I talk about controversial topics. Right. Um, now, now it's just more so people are just crazier. I think people in general have just gotten crazier. So, I mean, it would be nice to have like one social media platform because, you know, and that leads them to your email list, you know, that they can funnel the same type of marketing. You don't have to, you don't, it's less stuff to keep up with. It's more of a minimalistic approach to, Yes. and I I love that because I was just looking around my office. I'm like, I got so much stuff. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm so ready to get rid of things. And because I feel like extra things weigh you down. And I understand the freedom that would come from that option of only going with one or even less, because if you want all the platforms, even scaling back might be a better option for you. Yeah. I think, well, like you said a little bit ago, it's about choices. You know, we have so many choices and I, I like to think of social media, all the different networks we have to choose from, like they're all tools, you know, they're tools we can choose to pick up or put down to facilitate the work. What I think can happen sometimes is because social media can be so demanding of us and and the algorithms change and we have, you know, we get a dopamine hit from people's reactions perhaps. So sometimes social media can start to feel like the work rather than a tool that facilitates the work. But yeah, like, so you have these, these tools you can choose from. Social media is just one set of tools. There are others. You mentioned email list. Um, There's some other micro marketing tools that I love. But I think the words that you just used, Olivia, minimalism and clutter are 
really integral to this just concept of social media monogamy, this idea of eliminating what might feel like to you like clutter, which which acknowledges that it doesn't feel like clutter to everyone. But if you feel yeah. cluttered up by all by multiple social media networks, you can declutter those and you can have a more minimalist approach to the social media tool you use. And for some people, that's just a huge relief. And importantly, it doesn't change the effectiveness of the tool, right? So it's not, you know, even though you are in some ways by decluttering, cutting off certain opportunities or certain types of access, it's not a zero sum game, right? You can then replace that or replenish that with more opportunities and more access in this one social media network, say, by using it more effectively and more thoroughly and with more presence. And I think at the end of the day, you do have to question, like, what do you want from this? Mm, yeah. You know, like, just like we were talking about in the beginning, you know, you really want to establish, you know, your name, have it clear cut, not just and some of these things you can't, you can't be as clear, even if it is like the same type of content how it's digested is for the person. And it's like, if there's, and when people are building more so of a relationship with you, when you can invest time into building that relationship with your followers, mm -hmm. I think that's a really, you know, we get all these numbers and it's like, okay, well, what do you do with those numbers? Are they engaged? Are they in it? Yeah, what does this even mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's like an overwhelm of data available to us and, and making meaning out of that data is a tall order. Um, so yeah, I coach myself and my clients to just to be really mindful of the data we pay attention to. But I think to your point, Olivia, about like, what do you want? And I think there's two sides of that. One is like, what do you want these outcomes to be? Like, what do you hope to accomplish on this social media network? But I think equally importantly, and this gets a little bit less airtime is like, how do you want to feel when you're using this tool? You know, does it make you feel depleted? Does it make you feel jazzed? Does it make you feel creative? Does it make you feel angry? Like there's so many, there's so many options. And so for me in, you know, choosing to be social media monogamous with LinkedIn, using LinkedIn makes me feel the best and I'm clear on what I want to use it for. And I know that it's successful to do that. So it's a really good fit that, you know, that micromarketing tool is a really good fit for me. Yeah, I am. Um, and I mean, for your authors, you know, what, what do you find? And I mean, I, it, it depends on the books, you mm -hmm. know, I know it, and it depends on where they've already started out. And cause, cause that stuff matters too. Um, I, I find authors doing so many podcast tours. Yes. <laughs> like, that's, spoiler alert. That's another micro marketing tool is podcasting. Yeah, because especially when it comes to, you know, think about what we're doing right now, Olivia, we're having an intimate conversation, like we're making eye contact, we're facing each other, we're just talking to each other. And yeah, this is going to go out on the world. And this one on one conversation is going to be listenable for as long as the podcast archive keeps it alive, listenable by the whole world if they want. This is mm -hmm. a hugely leverageable piece of content that started as an intimate one on one conversation. I love that element of podcasting. There's something so intimate about using your, you know, just listening to something. That's like the first way we learn to communicate is by listening. So anyway, 
that's another micro marketing tool that I teach in the micro marketing method program, but also you mentioned authors. Yes. So podcasting is a really popular, uh, tactic or strategy. I sometimes get those words confused even now, but it's, yeah, it's a really popular way that authors will get themselves and their ideas and their books in front of new people. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm just, I work with a few different agencies. Like they just send me people. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm very yeah. grateful. I'm very grateful, but, um, I I've noticed be, just from that, like, Oh, authors are really, and it makes sense because mm-hmm. People that listen to podcasts tend to read books or yes. listen to audiobooks. Right. Good point. And um th- so I know for myself, whenever that time comes, I will definitely be doing a lot of podcast tours. Um and I mean it's just so fun because I, I feel like it's such a cool way to meet new people. Yes. And I also heard a projection for how new how the market's going to change when it comes to people. They're going to get burnout on the short form content. They're going to want more. They're going to want more of a longer form video. Um, They're going to want more just longer form content where they can just like have it and listen to the same person and not because they're going to get burnout on that short, short circuit of emotional, the emotional roller coaster, basically. Because it's an emotional roller coaster when you're scrolling through online, you know. Oh, there's a cute puppy. Oh my god, they just had a baby. That like, and, and wherever you feel in life, you know, yeah. like, oh, that's so great. They're cute. Or oh my goodness, that was really earlier. Oh my god, I don't have a baby yet. Yeah. And then you know, or oh, they just got married. Oh, they just did really well in their business. They just hit a million dollars in sales. That's great for them if you're in that me- mental space. Or why am I not there? You know, like you know, are okay. That's cool. You know, I wonder what they had. You know, depending on what your mindset is. And then it's, oh my goodness, there's a tragedy over here. Someone just was murdered. Oh, someone's someone's cousin's missing. You know, there's a GoFundMe page for that. Oh, you know, oh, this is political. Let, let me just mind my business. Like, <laughs> oh, this is absolutely horrible. It's an emotional roller coaster. And it's relentless. Like I, it was pointed out to me recently. It's so obvious in hindsight, but I hadn't thought about it in so many words, but like you never reach the end of the scroll. You're never done. Mm -hmm. And so it's just an endless, relentless, yeah, up and down and up and down and up and up and down and down and down and up. And it's exhausting. And that's from, at least for me, I find it exhausting. And so another way, that's another reason why choosing social media monogamy has been such a benefit to me is it just, I just love saying no to things. I love being like, no, I'm not going to subject myself to that. No, I'm not going to do these things, even though I understand why they're good ideas and that they really suit some people. It's a hard no for me. And there's, I just find that like saying no makes me feel really powerful. It really gives me a sense of like self sovereignty. And it's so satisfying to have those boundaries like yours. Like, I'm not going to get pissed off on social media. So when you, I imagine can maybe feel that pissed off feeling rising, you know, okay, we need to step away. This is a no. And yeah, building or yeah, creating and maintaining those boundaries is such a gift to to ourselves and to our businesses, to our relationships. They can be awkward and painful 
at first or throughout, but they're so worth it. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, we're like real life is happening and, you know, and there's so many different things going on, but yeah, I love the fact that you, you know, are setting boundaries around your social media. We, we, it's our power. The power is within us. And at the end of the day, these platforms just want your attention. They're going to yes. find ways to, to captivate that attention. Now yeah. for people that are content creators like me, like I'm, I'm excited that there's going to be more people, you know, possibly wanting longer form content, because that may, might mean that, you know, my podcast, my YouTube will grow even more. Um, however, I have to not be such a consumer of the platforms as well. Mm. And, and setting that boundary too of not, because that's, that's where I feel like it gets super overwhelming. Yeah. Um, for me, like I can post, I've gotten in such the habit of like, I'm going to post this. I know how to copy, like cut this, put this for here, put this for here. And it's not that much of a, a hassle, but it's the, it's the scroll. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And it takes a lot of discipline. Cause like those are designed to hijack, you know, kind of our mental wiring and they're very good at it. And so it takes a lot of discipline to opt out. And to di- like, because uh, and we'll we'll do that. We'll we'll get in the place where it's like super high achievers too. Like we'll have really stressful days, and then there's something we'll do to like numb. Mm-hmm. That might be drinking. That might be shopping. That might be scrolling. Totally. But scrolling is becoming a new addiction. Yeah. We, we lose hours of sleep. You know we. <laughs> And it's, I don't know what it is about that. Maybe it is the dopamine hit that we get and everybody don't have this problem. I'm not, you know, but it's, it's something that I know that I, I'll have to just stop and I'll like, if I want to watch something, I'll just put on nature shows. Mm-hmm. I, I love watching like just the That's animals. awesome. I just, I love the animals. I was, I was watching something on um insects a couple weeks ago. Before that, I was watching something on prehistoric birds. Like that's the first so cool. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I I love just looking at nature and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that this is this is a beautiful option that you offer. So now, how can people work with you? Yes. So. I work with clients a couple of ways. So I have, as I mentioned, the micro marketing method program where I teach how to LinkedIn, you know, the social media monogamy and, you know, the social media monogamy or or the link and the LinkedIn principles that I teach, such as our like three, one, one posting strategy. These are applicable across different social media. I just happen to apply them. And many of my clients choose to apply them to LinkedIn. I also, in that program, teach my uh, roundtables networking strategy, as well as how to pitch yourself as a guest on podcasts. So that's a great way to start working with me. You can find links to the program at medusamediagroup.com. And for a shortcut, you can also go to yourlinkedinprofile.com, which is my short free email course about how to create a LinkedIn profile that's effective and enticing to generate leads and opportunities. And yeah, that's, that's a fun one. Like I said, it's short, you can binge it or you can kind of watch it at pace, but that's a great way to like, get to know me, 
make some tweaks to your LinkedIn profile to make it stronger. And then of course you'll be in my email list and you'll be able to get to know me further from there. Awesome. Well, Eva, thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a pleasure. I I loved diving into this topic and really touching on social because that's something that we deal with. We don't really chat about, you know? Yeah. It's become such a, um, undeniable force in our lives that it's just just sort of like, it's just there. And yeah, maybe we don't always like zoom out and talk about how it's, how it's serving us or not, or like what it's doing there and like what our options are. Yeah, seriously. Well, guys, again, check the links in the show notes below to get all of her goodies and connect with her. Thank you so much, Eva. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.